2: Hey, what's up? It is your Tuesday edition of Locked on Raptors. Sean with you here for a solo episode as we're going to break down the Toronto Raptors 104-99 loss to the Miami Heat last night. We'll dig into why this continues to prove why the Raptors are very much a team that can hang but do they have enough to really get over the finish line against these really, really good teams they've come across lately? Plus, we're going to dig into my box score notes, run through some observations on Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes, Fred VanVleet, and more. And we will round out with our due to the game and a conversation about said due to the game and whether or not he is potentially still a trade piece for the Raptors or not. That's all coming up on today's episode of Locked Raptors. Thanks for being here. Oh, like because when I shot it, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot trying kind of miss. So. Going on. Welcome to episode number 1099 of Locked On Raptors for Tuesday, January the 18th. I'm your host Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at Woodley Sean, and you can find the show for free in all your favorite podcast apps and platforms. You can subscribe, follow, rate, review. All that good stuff. It's very much appreciated when you support the show. And it's free and available on YouTube as well. So just go hit that big red subscribe button and join the over 15 or nearly 1,500 happy and satisfied subscribers who have subscribed to the page so far. And as always, a big thank you for making us your first listen of the day. All right. On today's show, Raptors fall to the Miami Heat. 104.99 last night in a game that set me on edge in a way. A game in January shouldn't set one on edge. The Raptors and Heat, we know they play nasty sort of slugfest games every time they come across one another. It's what I imagine, playing the Miami Heat, that is, is what I imagine other teams feel when they play the Toronto Raptors. It's just stressful. There's no space. There's arms everywhere. It's just a disgusting, grimy brand of basketball. And I frankly love it. That said, I could do without watching this one, let this matchup two more times in the next two weeks, which is what's going to be on tap. It's very stressful. I don't want any part of this in a playoff series. Just too much on the nerves for the times that we live in, I think. But either way, a really, really fantastic game. Super entertaining and a lot of very encouraging signs for your Toronto Raptors once again. And I guess, you know, we can kind of dive into the big takeaway here before we, you know, get into that, just to t- tease on what else we got coming up in the show. We are going to talk about my box score notes, kind of run through Pascal Siakam, you know, maybe his best defensive game ever. We're going to dig into that. We'll talk about Scotty Barnes kind of returning to form a little bit. Uh, we have the due to the game to close things out as well. Spoiler alert. It's Chris Boucher again. He was incredible, but let's bring it back to sort of the big overarching takeaway for this game. And I think really... This game is just another data point that proves that this Raptors team can very much hang with the best teams in the Eastern Conference. Their top three are good enough to put them in the conversation with any of these teams on any given night. Playoffs, probably a different story, but in the regular season, certainly the Raptors are going to be able to pick up some wins against these teams. They did, of course, against the Bucs on Saturday, but... It really does feel like they're going to need a little bit more or a little bit of a sort of different approach potentially to the way they use their roster that they have in house. They're going to need that if they're going to do more than just hang against the league's heavy hitters. They're going to need either some bench contributions from guys who are not currently uh, in Nick Nurse's favor or they're going to need some sort of outside help. And I don't know where it comes from. It's a difficult thing. We're going to dig into the complexities of the the trade market for the Raptors and the fact that their most sort of premium asset right now uh, is playing maybe too well to trade. We'll get to that later. But it does feel like the Raptors are going to have to do something here. And and it's really difficult because I'm trying to like sort of find the line between Concern about the minutes being played and the lack of depth, and the fact that they're just bringing in bigs after bigs after bigs off the bench, and that's nice, but there's no creation being inserted. There's very little shooting being inserted in these second units. I'm trying to balance that concern with also the like the sheer optimism and glee that comes from the fact that the Raptors beat the Bucks with essentially seven players on Saturday and then nearly beat the heat with six players last night. Justin Champagne played a bit in the first half. He picked up an injury to his hand. He didn't finish out the game and they went with their starters plus Chris Boucher as the closing unit for this team for this team in the last like 24 minutes of the game. There was nobody else. It was just those six guys. The minutes these guys are playing is very burdensome. Like it, you you can't not be concerned. This takes us back to, you know, sort of the days of Kyle Lowry playing 39 minutes a game under Dwayne Casey and the concern that always crept in there, you know, he was an older player, I guess at the time, and, and maybe it was uh, more of a concern because he'd had some injury history or whatever, but like, it, you're just overextending Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, OJ Ananobi, even Scotty Barnes. Like he just came back from a knee injury and played, what was it last night? He played 39 minutes. Like he's just, it's a lot on all of these guys and they just need something from somewhere else in order to, to help kind of stabilize things and make it so it's not like an uphill battle every time you're in one of these games. You go down by 5 points, it feels like an insurmountable like leap to make because you've expended all the energy to get to that point and get to crunch time. And so it's just it's a really troublesome trend that they're playing these guys such heavy minutes. And we also saw last night that there is a very clear sort of there's a very large, like small margin for error for this team, right? Like, you get OG Ananobi into foul trouble, you miss him for a large stretch of the game, and you're just lacking an extra shooter when you don't really have any shooters right now. They have three shooters on this team right now who are above league average or thereabouts. Like, Pascal is kind of flirting with it, but it is Fred Van Gary Trent Jr., OG Ananobi. Trent didn't play. OG was out for large stretches the last night. There's just not space at all. And as much as I love future basketball and positionless basketball, the rules of present day basketball still apply. And the way teams defend the way every defense is sort of orchestrated right now, it's to, you know, rely on like limiting the three point ball. And if you don't have to worry about that with the Raptors, because they have no real threats, they can really collapse down and make things super difficult. And guys like Fred VanVleet and Pascal and OG, and it's just, it's a lot right now. You know, I I thought last night would have been a night to try One of Utah or Svee, you know, those guys have been in the doghouse lately, of course. Svee has been pretty inconsistent all season long. He's kind of been one of Nick Nurse's guys up until just the last week or so. And I'm surprised to see he's kind of fallen completely out of favor, just not because he's not deserving of it, because he hasn't played very well at all. But he does feel like a Nick Nurse type. Nurse has talked about wanting that sort of Gary Trent Jr. like player in the second unit. And he's just not been able to provide that. But that spacing that he does theoretically offer as like a very, very league average ho-hum shooter uh, for his entire career, really, like that is still valuable in comparison to Precious Achua not having any space or whatever that is. Like, I, I thought Sfi might get in. And I thought Utah for sure should have got some run last night in the second half. I mean, it's weird what's going on with Utah here because he does feel to me like the most likely candidate among the Raptors' second unit guys to potentially pop and fill in that back part of the rotation. So you're not just relying on your rotation of bigs to come off the bench. You got a wing in there who can shoot, who can make a little bit of a play off the bounce, who is obviously an incredible, super aware, highly intelligent defender. Like Utah seems to fit the vision here and a couple of bad shooting games out of the gate. And look, it's not just bad shooting. He had some defensive breakdowns in that Bucks game that got him benched after five minutes. They were down 16-2. There were reasons for that. And Utah was part of it, but He's such a good overall, solid baseline of a player. If he, if you get a night from him last night where he hits two threes or hits three threes on six attempts, you probably win that game. Like that was the sort of margin in this game. It was right on the edge, and I think Utah could have been the type of guy to really blow that open. And I hope he gets back in. You know, he's talked about you know he's returning from COVID, and you know Scotty Barnes talked about this earlier this week as well. The difficulty of coming back from COVID and the sort of you know ramp up time that it takes. Obviously, some guys didn't need that. Pascal Siakam was awesome right from the jump. Fred VanVleet, awesome right from the jump when coming back. But not everybody's the same. Not Not everybody suffers through COVID the exact same. And I think you're seeing here, like, it's been a struggle for you to come back, but he needs a little bit more leash here. I think if he's ever going to get back on track to where he was before he went out, where he was really excellent and had pretty much established himself as like the seventh or eighth man that you trust in the rotation. So Utah's got to be, I think, part of the solution here to help sort of close down that margin for error, give the Raptors just another guy off the bench they can trust, you know, whether the, the rest of it comes from Malachi Flynn or who else, I don't know. But man, they they need something else. And and maybe it comes via trade. Maybe it comes via, you know, you go and rebalance the roster with a deal of, of Chris Boucher or something like that. But that becomes really difficult because Boucher is playing his ass off right now. And it's not an easy thing. I do not envy the position the Raptors front office is in right now because it's not super ideal. They don't have a ton to trade right now. They don't have a ton they want to trade, I should say. Like, I don't think they are in the business of wanting to give up a ton of future first round picks right now for some sort of modest win now deal. They're going to want to do something that keeps the vision for the future together and ties it all in and is part of the, the, the guys who can grow with the team or at least be a supplemental part to help augment the team and help, you know, let the team sort of develop at its own pace and do so with a more sort of effective supporting cast around it. But there's not a lot in terms of like teams that have available assets, in terms of teams with cap space. It's like a difficult thing to work with the money right now. And the luxury tax is a consideration because they're so damn close to it. It's really difficult. But at the same time, I I think that you kind of owe the Siakam, Van Vliet, Ananobi trio at least some sort of vote of confidence with a move to help on the margins because those guys are playing out of their minds right now. You don't get prime seasons every single year from guys like this doesn't last forever. And yes, they're not going to go win a title this season, but you'd like to maximize it as much as you can get a deep playoff run. If, if it's even like remotely possible, the playoffs and the sort of pressure cooker that, that is will a help you kind of learn what it is that you have in this big three It will also give Scotty Barnes some run in the postseason, get Gary Trent Jr. some run in the postseason. Like, I think postseason experience is very valuable. And if the Raptors can in any way kind of give those three the support they need with an extra move here, I think they should look into it. It's just really difficult, and it's hard to land on something. But, you know, I think the risk in not doing something – is that you kind of, you know, ruin, not maybe ruin, but like, you know, leave some people feeling disgruntled, feeling a little upset. I kind of go back to the 2014 Toronto Blue Jays, for example. The 2014 Toronto Blue Jays were a pretty good team, kind of floating around 500. Bit of a different situation because that was an older team for sure, though they had some good young guys kind of on the way. You know, that team was kind of, pleading for some sort of deadline help. And when the Blue Jays didn't make a move, I remember Jose Bautista very vocally was like, you know what, we needed some help and we deserve some help, and we didn't get any and that sucks, basically. I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what happened. Obviously, you know, that Jays team didn't make the postseason and they ended up doing some good things the following couple of years. But you don't want to potentially have anyone sour on the experiment because you're kind of keeping the, the long-term in view when the present might be happening right now. That's how good Siakam and Van Vliet and Ananobi are playing right now. That's how far ahead of schedule Scotty Barnes is as well. It's a difficult thing. I do not envy the Raptors' position. But again, you know, I think they've got to do something, whether it's find some second unit help or find some sort of trade to help augment these three guys. Because if they don't, they're going to have a lot of results like they did against the Heat last night. And those will outnumber the, the games against the Bucks where they actually pull out wins. Against these elite teams. We're going to dig into a little bit more coming up in just a second. I'm going to dig into my box score notes from the Raptors game against the Heat last night and some thoughts on Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes, Fred Van Vliet, Precious Achua, and a whole bunch more. That's coming up in just one second here. But first, I want to tell you about our pals over at Prize Picks. Prize Picks has the best NBA DFS prop game. On the market, and you have to check them out. They have exclusive offers available right now to locked on fans. Use the code NBA to get $50 for free to start with prize picks. Prize picks offers more NBA props than any other DFS prop operator and offers all of the superstar players as well as bench players, only recording a handful of minutes each game. So yeah, put some money on, you know, Justin Champeny potentially getting over whatever his rebounding total is, because he'll surely do that the next time he plays. The man's rebound magnet. Prize Picks offers any prop you can think of from points, assists, rebounds, threes made, etc. You pick two to five players and an over/under on their projections, and you can win up ten times on any entry. And it's just you versus the projected numbers. There's no shadow expert behind some computer setting a lineup that you have no idea what you're competing with. It's just the projections. It's you versus them. That is the way it should be. Prize Picks. All also, allows mixed sport entries. So you can put some money down and, and, and make a bet on, you know, Joel Embiid, for example, in addition to, I don't know, someone in hockey, Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, whatever you want. Go and do prize picks, multi sport entries if you are a mixed sport fan. Or if you're just a basketball fan, keep it basketball centric. And that's cool too. Use the award winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. PrizePix is safe and offers fast withdrawals. Go to prizepix.com today or go to your app store and download the app. All users that deposit and use the promo code NBA will get $50 free if your first prize picks entry scores a single point. That's right. All users that deposit and use the promo code NBA will get $50 bucks free. If the prize picks entry, the first prize picks entry that you put in scores a single point. PrizePix is Daily Fantasy made easy. Go check them out.
0: Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
2: All right, let's dig into a little bit more from last night's game against the Heat. Again, a super fun game, leaving you wanting a little bit more from the Raptors, but at the same time, a lot of really good stuff to dig into this one. In particular, Pascal Siakam. Holy crap. Like, yes, a lower scoring game from him, not super efficient. The fact that he didn't get to the free throw line in this game is kind of insane, but that's besides the point. The refs were a conversation all night long. You know me, I'm not a ref person. I don't really like to complain about officiating, but like the Caleb Martin uh, flagrant that wasn't was obviously a flagrant. And the sort of it does kind of feel sometimes like the Heat have this sort of baked in, like, and look, it was only 21 to 19, 18 in terms of the, the, the foul differential, but it does feel like the Heat, because they play like maniacs all the time, there's like this built in sort of bell curve for their regression that, you know, kind of gets considered by referees. And I just feel like that Caleb Barton pushing behind is a dangerous play. Like, it, I don't know if it's a flagrant two, but a flagrant run one for sure. The fact that there wasn't one, kind of insane. But I, I'm not going to hang up on the officiating because there's better things to talk about, like Pascal Siakam. 18 points, 10 assists, 6 boards, 5 steals as well, along with a block on 9F20 shooting. Again, the shooting, whatever, I don't really care about that because this was as good a defensive game as I've ever seen from Pascal Siakam, in addition to probably being the best playmaking game I've ever seen from Pascal Siakam. And you contrast what he did, with Fred Van Vliet in this one. And Fred was quite good. You know, he still got his shots off. He was 6 of 16 from 3. He was massive, hit some massive 3s from, I don't know, 48 feet out or whatever his range is these days. Fred got his buckets, and that's encouraging. But Siakam was the avenue by which good things took place for the Raptors in the half court in this one because he was the one who could navigate the thicket of arms that the Heat throw at you. Way more effectively than Fred could. Fred, I I think, you know, this might have been a little bit of a glimpse as to some struggles that could pop up in the postseason when teams are really, really hell bent on stopping him and they can send extra guys who are much bigger than him his way. You know, we saw him with some uncharacteristic turnover trouble in this one. He had five turnovers, which is more than he had over like a stretch of 10 games, (laughs) like not very long ago. So, very uncharacteristic, but also makes sense considering how aggressive and long and nasty the Heat are. So you give the ball to Siakam instead, and he is clearly just kind of reading the game at a level that no one else is even thinking it right now in the Raptors, and very few opponents are thinking it at his level too. He's making the right reads all the time, whether it's, okay, I can shoot here or I can pass. He's making the right calculation in those situations essentially every time he has the ball in his hands. Last night, he had zero turnovers, which is, to me, maybe the most impressive thing he's done all night. You watched that game, right? Like, that game was... Bananas. It was insane. It was intense. It was just nasty and mean. And the Heat are a team that force a ton of turnovers. They had 11 steals in this game. The Raptors turned the ball over just 11 times, though. Like they did not have any of those stupid sort of uh, you know dead ball turnovers and stuff like that, or or live ball turnovers and unforced errors. Like they they yeah they got stolen a little bit, but Pascal Siakam didn't. Like he was incredible. He was just all-encompassing in this one, making the right reads, getting into the teeth of the defense, avoiding the thicket of arms and finding the right guys or finding his own looks. It was fantastic. And then on the defensive end, just completely a ball hawk, finding like loose balls and passes, contesting things at the rim, breaking things up in transition. Just an, an incredible game from Pascal Siakam. Yes, the 30-10-10 from Saturday against the Bucs was impressive and probably a better overall game just because of the scoring and, and you know the mid-range game and all that. But man, Siakam really impressed me with this one. And the 10 assists, I mean, he's up to seven assists a game just about over his last 12 games or since December 28th. I think it's 12 games. He's been just an absolute delight, as good as he's ever been, better than he's ever been since he got back. And he continued that last night. And really, this is the argument for when the postseason comes around. Siakam is the guy with the ball in his hands because Fred VanVleet can still get his off the ball. That's for damn sure he did last night and that was no problem. But Against those really keyed up defenses that are really going to try to force Fred into feeling uncomfortable. Pascal is a wonderful counter to that to run stuff with. And then Fred just becomes an even more dangerous off-ball threat as multiple bodies are going to Pascal Siakam. Odds are Fred's going to find himself open op- open more often than not when he's playing off the ball. So that was exciting stuff. Other quick notes on last night's game. Scotty Barnes, uh, nice to see him get back on track. You know, obviously the, the flagrant foul with Caleb Martin, you know, that wasn't called, is going to be sort of the story of the game. But I don't want that to overshadow the fact that that was clearly the dunk of the, of the year for the Raptors. Just like an insane through traffic, also on the run at full steam finish. Like just incredible stuff from Scotty Barnes. Beautiful to see him kind of back with a bit of like sprightliness to his game. He's looked a little bit lethargic since coming back from COVID. Was not the case in this one. The thing I love about Scotty Barnes, there's lots of things I love about Scotty Barnes, but one of the things I really love is he just like never looks down when he has the ball. He gets the ball off a rebound, heads up immediately. He's throwing hit-ahead passes. He's looking for what the option is. Maybe he's taking it himself because he sees an avenue, but like constantly on a swivel, always reading the game and I'm loving the connection he's got with Pascal Siakam as well. Like those two guys just have a real simpatico. They cut really well one enough off, off of one another. Them in transition, like good luck guarding those two in full steam in transition. Just unbelievable. I think Scotty threw, threw two lobs to Siakam in this one on the run. You know, really really nice to see Barnes back to sort of what you expect from him with the 16 points. He had eight boards, six assists as well. Um, you know, eight of six of 18 shooting, but he did go to a five from three with a couple of big ones. So that's good. The thing that, you know, still is an issue with Barnes is he's still learning defense. He's still kind of figuring things out, figuring out, you know, just the coverages and everything. And I think he was kind of to blame down the stretch. Jimmy Butler gets into the teeth of the defense, finds PJ Tucker for that dagger three in the final minute to put them up by six. If I recall, it sucked. It was a real bummer, but, You know, if you have Scotty Barnes kind of guarding Jimmy Butler in a late game situation, I don't mind that as sort of a thing to teach him and and, and learn. He was pretty good on Butler for most of the night. Yes, Butler had a triple-double, but I think, you know, Barnes did a pretty reasonable job when he was on him for stretches. But on that last play there, him and Fred Van Vliet got their wires crossed. I think Scotty thought the move was to switch. Fred did not. They kind of got all sort of discombobulated twice, actually. They still didn't seem to know what the coverage was. And that's just rookie stuff, right? Like I can't, can't imagine Fred VanVleet got the coverage wrong there. That feels like a rookie mistake, but you know, rookie mistakes are totally fine. If Scotty Barnes is going to play like he did last night, you know, the efficiency, you know, notwithstanding, if he's going to play the way he did last night and make the odd mistake, yes, it's unfortunate if it happens in crunch time and it costs them the game. But for the most part, in terms of the grander vision of the team and the sort of outlook, I'm fine with you know, kind of throwing to the fire and having him learn on the fly. Because as we've talked about with Scotty Barnes. The dude learns real quick, and I have no no issue sort of you know testing that and seeing hey you know does he learn from this mistake and does he make that mistake going forward? I'm going to guess probably not in the same sort of profound way that he did. I, I think that's kind of it in terms of my like overall thoughts in the game. I you know I think Precious Achua probably deserves a little bit of uh, a conversation. He was uh, rough offensively, continues to be really good defensively. The rebounding was outstanding in this one. I think he's pretty comfortably a guy that i trust on the floor right now even with how bad his offense is you're going to get those moments where you know at the end of the first half he's trying to break a dude down while there's a wide open fred van vliet for three right in his sweet spot there's three other guys dotting around just staring at him angrily and you know (laughs) it's not a a great state of affairs at the end of the first half there is precious puts up that three through a whole bunch of guys after a whole bunch of duress like not the best but I I think for the most part, I'm really enjoying what precious is doing lately. And I think the rebounding has been essential and I'm just the odd flashes you get where he does do something reasonably effective on offense. Like he had that one ISO post up that he scored on late in the game that, you know, I'm doing no, 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 no. Oh yes. For, but like, To see those little moments within a game, that gives you a lot of hope as to what he could be down the line as he sort of refines that decision-making and maybe uh, gets a little bit less tunnel-vision-y on offense. But those are kind of my thoughts on the game as a whole, and we will get into the final part of the show, which is the due to the game, of course, to close up the show, the segment everybody's talking about. We will hand that out and talk about the future of said due to the game in just one second here. But first... Want to tell you about our friends over at betonline.ag who would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue the march towards the playoffs and beyond. BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the sports wagering action for 2022 New year, new updated desktop and mobile website. Sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code LOCKEDON to get started. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait and take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. BetOnline is where the game starts.
0: Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
2: And now we close out your first listen of the day with the dude of the game. We love the dude of the game here. And the dude of the game in this one is Chris Boucher, who picks up his sixth dude of the game win of the season. And man, Boucher was uh, an absolute revelation in this game and continues to kind of be one as of late here, he, he just, he's been such a spark plug off the bench. He's helping to cut into that margin of error that we're talking about here, where really the Raptors all season long have been hinged on the outcomes of four or five guys. You know, when they're all healthy, five guys, usually it's three guys because no one's ever healthy, but you know, they've been so caught up in what the starters do and what they do determines so much And the second units, like they've been really like ruining games for the Raptors this season. And I have Boucher, a reliable piece who now you just know it seems what you're getting from him every single night, which is maniacal energy on the offensive end uh, on the offensive glass in particular, a really sort of refreshed discipline when it comes to his defense. He's been so good around the rim. He's not getting out of position doing the thing that Chris Boucher has often done in the past, right? Where he'll get overzealous in the search of blocks, whether it's overly committing to try to block a three or getting out of position under the basket to swat a shot and then just leaving his guy for a little dump-off pass, that's not there right now. He's just playing really sound back-end defense for this Raptors D, and you throw in the fact that he's now hitting a couple threes the last couple games, and like that's just gravy to me. Everything else he's doing is the core of what you want from Chris Boucher. If he's going to knock down threes, that's just a total game-changer for the second unit, which is awesome to see. And it's gotten to the point now where... I'm kind of concerned about, like, do you trade Chris Boucher? This has become a question now. I I think for most people, a month ago was, yeah, you trade Chris Boucher for whatever you can get. Maybe you can rebalance the the roster if you throw an asset in, and, and, you know, because he's not playing super well, maybe you have to sweeten a deal to get something back that you want. Now, Chris Boucher is their best reserve. I don't know how you can go and trade him right now unless you're absolutely... Upgrading the roster with, uh, you know, a, a rebalancing trade of some kind to get a shooter in the door to help space things out. You know, you give a little bit more leeway to Precious Achua, and, and you know, Justin Champagne gets some more run if Boucher's not around. Maybe you're okay with that, but the way Boucher is playing right now, he's pretty essential to the Raptors' hopes of winning a lot of these games. And so, you know, I, I think this is going to come up right, and this there will be you know comparisons drawn to Kyle Lowry last year. There should not be comparisons drawn between Chris Boucher and Kyle Lowry. Entirely different situations, but I think the sort of idea that you got to get something for someone who's on the way out the door. Yes, the Raptors have had a lot of guys over the years leave for nothing. Marcus All, Serge Ibaka. In hindsight, those guys leaving for nothing ultimately probably didn't change that much because they were not really themselves. The years after they left, we can probably stop litigating that one. But when it comes to you know Kyle Lowry, they left. They got just Prestes chua Maybe they could have gotten more. Maybe they could have gotten, you know, something at the deadline from the Sixers or the the Lakers or whoever. We don't really know what was on the table there. But that was the conversation last season was you can't let Kyle Lowry go for nothing. I have always been of the mind that it's not just as black and white as you got to deal a guy to get a pick if he's going to be a free agent. You got to deal a guy just to deal him because he's going to be a free agent and not be around you know, I guess the Raptors could in theory pay Chris Boucher to stick around. I don't know if he's played himself into some sort of insane exorbitant contract. Maybe you can get him to a similar number that he's on right now going forward for a couple more years, and you're happy with that. But I also think there's something to be said for just riding it out this season with Boucher in the interest of giving this roster its best shot to have a competitive finish to the season, right? I I think you know, at some point I would have said, "Yeah, Boucher for a pick, that's fine. You restore the coffers a little bit, you're pretty loaded in the front court anyway, you're probably fine." I don't think that's the case anymore because I don't think you can afford to just move on from Boucher, not filling that spot with something. And so, if it's just a deal to get a pick, to get something before he walks for nothing, I don't think you do that. I think that sends the wrong message to the front to to the team. That's the kind of message like that thing I was talking about with the 2014 Blue Jays, that is sort of a vote of non-confidence. Even if it's not one, even if the front office is very clearly happy with those three guys, you got to like, understand how those guys would take that. And I can't imagine a Fred VanVleet or a Pascal Siakam or an OG Ananobi who are finally getting some help in the form of one bench guy doing something, which they haven't had all season long. Imagine the response from those three guys who have won championships to the Raptors flipping him for a pick just because they don't want to lose him for nothing at season's end. I don't think Chris Boucher is going to snag you an asset good enough to make that worth it. And so I think right now, if you're going to move Boucher, it absolutely has to be in a deal for someone who rebalances the roster and helps sort of augment this whole thing and make the whole picture look a little bit better, a little bit less janky, a little bit less just disjointed, at least in terms of, you know, offering some shooting and just like, reliable spacing that they just don't have right now. It's got to be that. Otherwise, you keep Boucher, I think, and try to find another avenue to improve or you just accept that you're probably not going to get something out there that's going to tangibly improve and then you just ride with what you've got. And I think this team, even with what it has, can make a pretty decent run at the six seed, maybe the five seed if things get crazy and teams you know, get hit by COVID or whatever it might be. Like that's That could be on the table still for the Raptors here. I, I just think... Boucher's played himself out of just being a guy you flip for the sake of flipping. And if he walks at the end of the season and you've gotten a pretty decent finish to the season and you've gotten some support for Fred Van Vliet and Siakam and OG to close the year on the way to a postseason run, I think that is totally fine and probably worth whatever pick you'd get back for Boucher. You know, as far as other deals that work, flipping him for someone who can help the team in a different spot, you know, change up the, the positional balance. We can dig into future in future episodes into potential matches there, but it's tricky to find because not a lot of guys make $7 bucks and are super effective and super useful. That's kind of like a very low salary these days in the NBA, and you're probably going to have to sort of aim a little bit higher if you want someone who's going to tangibly improve the areas that the Raptors desperately need improving. And then all of this kind of brings me back to Goran Dragic as well. Like, it's, it's, imagine they just had Goran Dragic. You didn't. You don't have to trade Chris Boucher. You just have Dragic on the team to run your second units. I maintain that he would be kind of exactly what this team needs right now. I tweeted earlier today, like I, to the point that if Dragic were on some other team, I would be trying to find a way to get him to the Raptors for the rest of the season just to help in the second unit to help offer some shooting and some ball handling and some spacing. I think he'd be super valuable. It's a shame the way it's all worked out. I don't really know where to pin blame. Is it Drogic? Is it the Raptors? It's probably somewhere in between. But man, he'd be helpful right now. He'd be the exact kind of guy you'd ideally want to trade Chris Boucher for, But I don't think you can do that now because he's too damn good and useful and effective for this team. This could end anytime soon. You know, Chris Boucher is a streaky guy. We know that. But I I think what we've seen lately is pretty sustainable. Even if the threes aren't going to be, the threes aren't necessary for him to make an impact on games anymore, which is not what you could always say about Chris Boucher. Last season, it really was. Hey, if he's not shooting his threes, boy, there are some problems with him on the floor. He's touched up the other parts of his game to the point that I'm not so worried when he's out there anymore, even if he's not knocking down threes. But hey, not so bad that he is. Anyway, that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked on Raptors. We'll be back again tomorrow. We're going to do the uh, halfway point over-unders check-in with Sahal and Vivek. That should be a ton of fun. So we will bring you that tomorrow in the early morning. Probably going to post that one about midnight tonight, actually, so you can just get ready for that. It'll be all day long in your feeds. And then Thursday, just a... Figuring out plans for Thursday. It's my fiancé's 30th birthday on Thursday, and I might be tied up and not able to watch the game live. Um, so probably a later Thursday episode after I get a chance to watch on Thursday morning. But just keep an eye out there. And then Friday this week, Samson Folk is going to join for Mattress Republic. We're going to talk all about his wonderful piece on Scotty Barnes over at the site. So your homework is to read the piece from Samson about Scotty Barnes and his road to superstardom before we chat with him on Friday for the podcast. And uh, with that, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you you for making us your first listener of the day. Thank you for subscribing, rating, reviewing, telling a friend, all that good stuff, and all your favorite podcast platforms. Once again, it's free everywhere. It's a free podcast. It's beautiful. It's also on YouTube. You can subscribe there too. It's very, very much appreciated. If you want to see my pretty face every day, that is the place to do it that will do it here you can go make your second listen of the day locked on bets as your boy q and lee sterling will tee you up for the week two of the nfl playoffs and get you all set there now that week one is in the books and you move on to the divisional round and uh that'll do it we'll talk to you again on wednesday with another episode of locked on raptors bye-bye